0: Now, it's a bad habit, but it's not entirely my fault, okay? As often happens in families, I learned this bad habit from my father, and he learned it from his father. My grandfather, the originator of this bad habit that now plagues three generations of bronzen men, my grandfather was a businessman. And as they say in business, time is money, right? So telephone calls with my grandpa ended rather abruptly. And I mean, abruptly. When my grandfather was done talking, he just hung up. Yeah. Know anybody like that? Yeah. I mean, he might be discussing a business deal or, or a sale or, or an offer or some human resources issue. And when there was nothing left to say, but this habit that was born with my grandpa has been perfected by my father. There are times, and this is true, that my dad will um, answer the phone and he will say, and I'm quoting, what you got? What you got? Go, go. (laughs) This is true. And then when it's over, it's over. If he's in a really good mood, and the person on the other end of the phone had a birthday or got married or had a baby, you might get a real good before he hangs up. (laughs) Or a, yep. Now back in the day with grandpa, you'd at least get a dial tone and know that he was no longer there. The problem now is you don't hear anything. And so you end up sounding like the Verizon commercial guy, like, uh, can you hear me now? What do you say before you hang up the phone? That's good, yeah. How about concluding an email, right? How do you end a letter? The Oxford English Dictionary tells us that the word goodbye is actually a kind of prayer. Hundreds of years ago, people would actually say to one another, God be with ye. God be with you. I'm going, I can't be with you, but I know God can. Over time that was simply shortened from God be with you to goodbye. With all the different ways we now communicate, I bet a lot of us are not unlike my grandfather sometimes. When the conversation is over, we just hang up. And sometimes, perhaps, it's tough to know how to end. And so we don't. No, God be with you, no goodbye. But not the Apostle Paul. He concludes his letter to the Galatians with more words and not less. This fall, we've been exploring the foundation of the gospel in this earliest letter that we have in the New Testament. We've been exploring the foundation of the good news of Jesus, that in him we live forgiven and free. And before Paul closes up the envelope, before Paul hangs up the phone, before Paul clicks send, he has one more thing to say. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Which, let's be honest, it's a little weird, isn't it? You can almost picture him with like magic markers and a poster board, right? Drawing out a big happy birthday for a surprise party, or a welcome home sign before picking someone up at LAX. Why are you telling us about how big the letters are that you write with your hand, Paul? See, Paul takes the pen from his scribe in a number of other letters, in the letter to the Corinthians and the Colossians, the Thessalonians, to Philemon. But those are merely to sign his name. And here, we get a whole paragraph. We get a whole nother sheet of papyrus. Now, there are a number of theories going on, uh, uh, what's going on here. Um, Perhaps Paul was accustomed to writing in Hebrew, and he wasn't so good at writing Greek letters. Maybe this was due to his bad eyesight. He had to make really large letters. Some commentators even hypothesize that Paul is writing really big letters like you would write for a child who's just learning to read. That he's again reminding the Galatians that they're acting childish. That they've returned back to some old bad habits like the ones my father and grandfather taught me. But most likely, Paul takes this pen into his own hand to emphasize his reading for writing his reason for writing one last time you see this is this is no fine print this is paul's all caps moment he says those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of christ in other words they want to save their own skin by cutting yours And as we've said, this minor surgery has major implications. If we want to be justified by following all the rules, then you've got to follow them all. But, he says, not even those who are circumcised, who've checked that box, obey the whole law. And yet they want you to be circumcised so they might boast about your flesh. Here's Here's the key verse that ties this passage together. Paul writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. In other words, what we do or don't do is not important. Whether we're the big brother who stays with his father doing all the right things at all the right time and never even gets a goat for it, or whether we're like the little brother who runs off and squanders dad's money in wild living. Whether No matter what we do, what we don't do is not as important as what God is doing because what God is doing is birthing a new creation out of the old. God is bringing restoration and reconciliation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The word that Paul uses there about bearing on his body the marks of Jesus is the word stigmata. It's been used by Catholic mystics through the years like Saint Francis who was said to miraculously and mysteriously receive the wounds of Jesus without any physical cause. Have you heard of this before, the stigmata? Yeah, it's the same word. But what's happening here for Paul is not miraculous or mysterious. What's happening for Paul has a very obvious physical cause. He bears on his body the marks of Jesus because of his preaching, because of his proclamation, he has been persecuted. In other first century sources, this word was used to describe the branding on the body of a slave by his master. And so Paul says, I I bear on my body the marks of my preaching, of my proclamation, I bear on my body the persecution that has come for the good news of the gospel of grace. And so Paul doesn't just say goodbye. He doesn't just say, God be with you. No, this is so important to him that he grabs the pen and writes it in really big capital letters. Do not succumb to that minor surgery. It has major implications. By trying to follow all the rules and rituals and regulations of religion, you're still trying to save yourselves. Years ago, there was a skit on Saturday Night Live with a character named Stuart Smalley. Um, The skit was called Daily Affirmations. Does anybody remember Stuart? Yeah, Sue, you remember that one? Okay, so every time, Stuart Smalley would conclude. He would look in the mirror at himself, and he would say these words. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. (laughs) And I hate to contradict the prayer that Josh led us in a few moments ago. In one way, it's true, but in another way, we've got a little issue with it, right? God, yes, God is awesome. But the part that I had struggle, I struggled to pray was, God, thank you that I'm awesome. That's kind of a prayer like Stuart Smalley, right? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. But Paul is much more offensive than Stuart Smalley. What has he said time after time in the book of Galatians? Actually as offensive and as difficult as it is for us to hear, as much as our culture would push against this, Paul says, actually, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. It doesn't matter how many people like you. You see, if at some level we're not offended by the gospel, then we are not paying attention. The gospel tells us that we are more sinful than we've ever allowed ourselves to believe. That there are sins that we commit and we don't even know that we're doing it because we don't even allow ourselves to think about it. We're more sinful than we've ever allowed ourselves to believe. And so all of our success, all of our wealth, all of our education, our appearance, it's not enough. We're more sinful than we've ever allowed ourselves to believe. But, but, the gospel also tells us, we're also more loved than we ever dared imagine. Amen? That's, That's what our choir sang for us a few moments ago. I am not my own. I don't belong to myself anymore. We are more loved than we've ever dared imagine. Loved even more than all of those ways we've dropped the ball. We've missed the mark. And that's why Paul doesn't just sign his name. That's why he he takes the pen. Why he writes these large letters in all caps. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. How strange that must have sounded. The cross was a symbol of capital punishment in the first century. The cross was so terrible, was so abhorrent, was so painful that a, a, a Roman citizen would never be crucified, no matter what they'd done. See, the cross, though, is where our need and God's love overlap. The cross is the only thing in which Paul will boast and, and this is really important for us as we, as we conclude these 11 weeks in Galatians. What we express depends on who we want to impress, right? What we express depends on who we want to impress. We see this all the time on social media. Um, so look at your Facebook threads. P- people in one way or another are boasting about their success, their, their wealth, their education. It's another form of daily affirmation like Stuart Smalley looking in his mirror. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. Look at how many friends I have. You should like me. See, I I boast about these kinds of things too. I I could pinpoint with incredible accuracy all the pitches my 10-year-old threw this fall ball season. He's gonna be an ace for the San Francisco Giants, I just know it. (laughs) He's gonna follow in the footsteps that I couldn't, I just know it. I have every one of those pitches saved on my phone. Maybe you've heard this story. I've probably told it before. Uh, one of my famous authors writes about attending a pastor's conference years ago, and, and on a break in between sessions, um, this, this author uh, is talking with two other attendees of the conference. And one of them asks the other, Well, how's your church going? Which, if you're not familiar with this, if you don't understand the pastorese translation, that's pastorese for how big is your church? How's your church going? Now that's Pastor E's for how important are you? Are you worthwhile for me to talk to you? Would it be cool for me to go back home to my home church and tell them that I met you? So that pastor responded, oh, pretty good. We have about 1,000 at our church. How's your church going? Remember the translation, right? First pastor said, well, the Lord's blessing us all, right? We run around 1,500 or so. And then they looked at me, the author writes. He says, I knew what was coming next. I worked at a church that had maybe 200 attendees at the time, and then a little voice, so quiet that I was hardly aware of, began to whisper some management impression strategy in my ear. (laughs) Say the church has 250 people, 200 is awfully small, a church of 250 sounds less embarrassing than 200. Then at the same time, another voice responded, What are you doing? You don't even know these men. You'll never see them again. So do you think they would really care? Are you really willing to trade your integrity, which, when it comes down to it, is all you really have, for the sake of the status that you would gain by a mere 50 lousy people? (laughs) (laughs) And so when they asked, he replied, Well, we run about (laughs) 2,000. And not just transfers from other churches, either. We've got some seriously impressive converts. uh, Hugh Hefner, Jimmy Hoffa, the Dalai Lama. (laughs) And he concludes this way. He says, if you're going to trade your integrity, you might as well go big. (laughs) Now, I I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. I'm only i like Paul. I only boast about the cross of Christ. And so when I'm at pastor's conferences, I don't add anything to the 5,000 of us. Not a a one. Not a one. When are you tempted to add a zero? When are you tempted to add on a little bit? When are you tempted by management, impression, strategy? Remember how Jesus puts it. The mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Right? The mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Whatever our hearts are full of, That's what we'll find ourselves talking about. Whatever our hearts are full of, that's what we'll boast about. Or to update it for today, that's what we'll post about. A couple weeks ago, Cassie and I went to Cabo San Lucas for a long weekend, you know, for the sake of the kingdom. Now we were there so I could officiate the wedding of some dear friends. They were supposed to get married last November, but you all know how that went. But because it had been a year and travel was expensive and a little concerning with the COVID rates in Baja, there were a lot less people than they'd originally invited. I'd never been to a destination wedding before, but I was there for it, man. I was excited. It had been a long time since we were away from our children. There's maybe 40 people in all that weekend. And so um, all of the activities, all weekend long, there was a lot of little get-togethers and such. It had the same 40 people. And I was not introduced as Pastor Curtis. I wasn't even introduced as Officiant Curtis. I was just introduced as, this is Curtis, my buddy who's marrying us. And I didn't know many of those other 40 people. It was just me. Cassie knows me. She knows what I do. She knows what I want to boast about. But I had this strange experience. I don't know if you ever have an experience like this. Um, As a pastor, most of my time is spent doing kind of churchy things with other Christians, right? But in Cabo, I could be anyone I wanted. It's totally anonymous. Have you ever had that experience? I could be anyone. And listen, that's true for all of us all the time. What does Paul tell us in Galatians? He says, you are forgiven and you are free. You are forgiven, and you are free, and you can boast about anything you want. You can make your life about anything you want. You can post about anything you want. What will we boast about? What will we post about? What we express is driven by who we want to impress. And so, will we boast about, will we post about our success, our wealth, our education, our appearance, how we're good enough, smart enough, and look how many people like us? Or will we boast about Jesus? We can be anybody we want. We're forgiven and free. Will we, like Paul, bear on our body the marks of Jesus? Could our words and our actions and our attitude give us enough evidence to convict us for being a Christian? See, friends, our our world runs after these daily affirmations. We run after all the ways that we can justify ourselves, all the ways we can add a zero, right? Like the older brother who does all the right things at the right time, or like the younger brother who does quite the opposite, may we run after Jesus. May we boast in Jesus. May we bear the marks of Jesus. May that be the legacy that we leave. Because however we hang up the phone, however we conclude an email, however we end a letter, at some point we will have to say goodbye. At some point we will say, God be with you. I can't be with you, but may God be with you. May the end of that conversation, may knowing that we have one life to live here on this earth, may it reframe the whole conversation that precedes it. That we would boast about Jesus and Jesus alone. May we hear from Paul. May we live by the example that he sets for us. It's so easy to fall into that trap, just like the Galatians, to boast about our own performance instead of God's promise. May we boast about that promise. May we boast about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God, would you be with us? Would you help us in this difficult time this difficult season not only in our community not only in our country but around the world this most difficult and divisive season would you help us to be those who not boast about ourselves don't boast about our own success our own wealth our own appearance our own education our own achievements would you help us to boast about you and to boast about the wonderful cross The cross of Christ, where our need and your love crash into one another. That while we weren't good enough, we weren't smart enough, not enough people liked us, you saw us and you were willing to give your life that we might know you. That we might be adopted into your family of faith. That we may live in in eternity with you forever. Would that promise of our goodbye reframe the whole conversation of our life? It's in the name of Jesus. It's for the sake of his kingdom we pray. Amen.